0: This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the Executive Producer and Co-host of the show. Joining me in the virtual studio is Co-Founder and Principal Co-host Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. Pop Health Week engages industry leadership and stakeholder voices spanning payer, provider, patient, vendor, and regulatory communities in population health best practices and strategies. Connect with us via www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter at gregmastersmph, and that's Greg with two G's. On today's episode, our guest is Leandro Mena, MD MPH, the director of the Division of Sexually Transmitted Diseases Prevention in the CDC's National Center for HIV-AIDS, viral hepatitis, STD, and TB prevention, where he manages the implementation and evaluation of CDC-supported sexually transmitted infections prevention programs in the United States. Dr. Mena is the founding chair of the Department of Population Health Sciences at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, John D. Bauer School of Population Health. He currently serves as Professor of Population Health Science and Professor of Medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases and directs the Center for HIV-AIDS Research, Education and Policy at the Merrily Evers-William Institute for Elimination of Health Disparities. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you.
1: Thanks so much, Greg and Leandro. Welcome back
2: to Pop Health Week. Thank you. Glad and so honored uh, uh, to be here.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic to get you back on. There's been a little bit of a change in your career since the last time we spoke. I think it's just over a year now you've been at the CDC. So could you give us some information on what what you're uh, doing there at the CDC?
2: Uh, Yes, absolutely. I mean, as you said, uh, in August, you know, last year, I uh, joined uh, the Division of STD Prevention at CDC. Uh, So now I direct, you know, the division. uh, Uh, The division is uh, uh, within the Center for HIV, viral hepatitis, STD, and Tuberculosis Prevention at CDC.
1: And your group, as the director of that group, oversees the uh, um, Sexually Transmitted Infections area?
2: Yes, that is correct.
1: So what does that encompass?
2: Well, you know, CDC plays an important role in combating, you know, you know, STIs in the United States. You know, and the work of the division includes, you know, assisting health departments, healthcare providers, and other work and, and, and others working to address STD prevention time with timely, science-based information and guidelines on the testing and treatment of these infections. You know, for instance, you know, we have our STI treatment guidelines. You know, uh, documents. an accompanying piece called recommendations for providing quality STD clinical services that highlights the services healthcare settings can offer to to provide the highest quality STD care for their patients. I have to mention that the STI treatment guidelines are probably one of the most, if not the most downloaded document at the CDC website. You know, we also provide significant funding to state and local health departments on STD programs, as well as national STD and public health organizations. I mean, roughly 85% of the division funds go to programs and grants. Wow. And so
1: when I think about it, I know that in some of the statistics, we continue to see an increase in uh, in STDs in, in the areas you're working. And um, it looks like it's 1.6 million cases of chlamydia, which actually has dropped since 2017. But the others, for example, with gonorrhea up 25% since 2017, and syphilis up 68%. So we're continuing to see these increases, I guess, and you're working to try to reduce that. So what are some of the things that are you're doing in the communities or um, with the clinics to try to help with that?
2: Well, Fred, you know, I have to tell you, uh, um, we actually released last week our 2021 preliminary surveillance report, and um, and uh, it, 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 STIs you know continue to increase again in 2021. You know uh, some of the decreases we saw chlamydia primarily you know as we suspect were probably caused because of the impact of impact of COVID 19. You know we are seeing you know when it comes to primary secondary syphilis. Uh, We saw the biggest year to year increase, you know, 26% increase between 2020 and 2021. Um, This is the largest number of cases that we have seen. You know, uh, glad you're sitting in 73 years since 1948. We have not seen, you know, this such a high number of cases of primary and secondary syphilis in the US. And even more dramatic has been the increase that we have in congenital syphilis of about 24% between 2020 and 2021. You know, uh, uh, cases of congenital syphilis has three have tripled since 2017 in the past five years. And it's important because congenital syphilis is the one condition, you know, the one STI that is associated with significant mortality. About 7% of congenital syphilis cases right, end up in, in infant or uh, mortality.
1: And so when you talk about congenital syphilis, you're talking about children who are infected at birth or pre-birth and born? Uh,
2: Children who are infected, yeah, in uterus, you know, or at birth, yes. Wow, and and 7% of those
1: are are associated with death?
2: Die, still birth, yes. Wow.
1: Mm -hmm. And how did COVID impact the work of the CDC? I know they put a lot of effort focusing, obviously, on COVID itself. Were some of those resources moved from the STI groups to focus on that? And how did that impact potentially monitoring and uh, and uh, prevention?
2: You know, uh, COVID uh, impact uh, on STIs has really been interesting, right? In on one side, it increased, you know, our awareness of something that we have long known about STIs, which is the longstanding and ingrained social and economical factors that need to be addressed so everyone can achieve optimal health. You know, uh, but uh, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, strained and already crumbling public health infrastructure. You know, we uh, had, you know, uh, because of decreased public health funding over almost two decades of uh, insufficient funding, health departments uh, experienced reductions in screening, treatment, prevention, and partner services, uh, uh, all contributing, you know, to the increasing SDIs You know, way before the pandemic, uh, but because of the pandemic, uh, during the pandemic, we saw also significant reductions in personal in personal healthcare services, resulting in less frequent STD screening. We saw diversion of public health staff to respond to the COVID pandemic, and some of this staff was actually permanently assigned, you know, to COVID-19. So we really have not seen a, 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 a restoration of that. Uh, and and then there were the lapses, you know, that people having health insurance coverage, you know, do because due to unemployment, you know, we uh, were lucky enough that as part of the American Rescue Plan, you know, uh, CDC, you know, received one billion dollars, you know, to help support and rebuild some of that disease intervention specialist infrastructure capacity, but then those funds came again a little bit, you know, uh, late and 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 uh, uh, and still, you know, uh, and although still, you know, are, are being used right to try to rebuild, you know, a. Uh, the, the infrastructure that really was, you know, very weak, you know, at the time of the, the COVID pandemic started.
1: I, I also wonder, um, Leandro, and you've done a lot of work in HIV and focused on programs to help prevention and people better monitor their health and things like that. Was some of this increase potentially due to the messaging around COVID was so loud and out there, which it needed to be, that maybe there was uh, turning away from individuals themselves, focusing on um, STIs and things like that, or thinking about them as much as they would have because of of that?
2: Well, you know, Fred, you know, as you know, uh, most of these issues are really multifactorial. And when we think about what's driving the STI increases, I mean, there's no doubt that it's a multi-level factors, you know, in addition to the social and economical conditions, you know, that make people more difficult, that make for most populations more difficult to Stay healthy, you know. As you know, poverty, stigma, lack of medical insurance or provider, unstable housing, history, you know, a high burden of STIs in some of these communities. You know, we also uh, recognize that, as I mentioned, the reduction in services that I mentioned, but we also uh, uh, see the increase, you know, in substance use. Uh, which has been linked to less safe sexual practices. We are more than a decade in the national opioid crisis that is putting more people at risk of HIV, viral hepatitis, and STIs. And think about the methamphetamine epidemic. Um, we have also seen decrease in condom, decreases in condom use among youth and among some group of gay and bisexual men. Uh, so it's important. We really must ensure that provider, uh, provider and prevention partners are equipping those um who no longer are using condoms for HIV prevention with the tools and information that they need to protect themselves against other STIs, um, but also we see the uh, uh, stigma around STIs, right? You know, STIs continue to be stigmatized, and stigma can really be a powerful, you know, a, a deterrent, right? From uh, that keeps people from accessing the care, right? You know that they need both, you know, treatment and 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 and, and And treatment, testing and treatment services, you know, as as I mentioned, you know, the COVID pandemic has really compounded, you know, many of these challenges and exacerbated, you know, pre-existing disparities in healthcare and prevention access uh, and further straining, again, our public health infrastructure.
1: Yeah, it's, it was fascinating when I was looking at this state of STDs uh, report that you released in 2021, and you talked about the racial ethnic minority groups And the and we, you know, we see that negative impact across it COVID highlighted it like crazy, obviously with STIs, we see it as well. But what really stood out to me was young people age 15 to 24 are a group that is much more affected. And sometimes we don't think about the younger population around healthcare. Um, so can you comment some on on that and some of the areas maybe we can help work with that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, the US epidemic, STI epidemic, they're tremendous, you know, big disparities, right? You know, they are, you know, in geography, you know, people don't think about geography. Uh, United States has over 3000 counties, right? 3% of U.S. counties are responsible of 50% of all gonorrhea, 50% of all chlamydia, 50% of all primary and secondary syphilis. And we know that 48 counties, right, represent 50% of all HIV infection. So we see disparities when it comes to age. You know, as you mentioned, you know, individuals who are 15 to 24 years old represent 50% of all um, of all sexually transmitting infections, uh, racial ethnic minorities, African Americans represent about thirty eight percent of all, you know, primary secondary syphilis and gonorrhea. Um, and men with men represent, you know, almost fifty percent of all primary secondary syphilis. You know, when they are only two percent of the U.S. population. So, if you think about these populations, right, and we I talked earlier about I mentioned earlier about the social and uh, economical circumstances right that 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 weigh so heavily into the chance into the the into what determines the risk of exposure right and access you know to appropriate care, then you have to start thinking about how can we distribute resources in those geographic areas right where they are most needed you know and then within those geographic areas who are the population, what are, which one are the populations, right, that are most disproportionately impacted, and work with those populations to develop tailored interventions that are specifically responsive to the needs of those populations. And I'm saying that, for example, the way you address a syphilis outbreak in Arizona, in Navajo Nation, is not how you're going to address a syphilis outbreak uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. Right. You know, it's so. So I think that's the kind of a tailored approaches that we need.
1: Yeah. And something you've been talking about for years and and we've talked about on the show, et cetera, is this whole idea of culturally appropriate approaches to the community. And And I know that you actually, you know, look at this from an implementation and evaluation perspective as part of this evaluating how these programs work what are you seeing as some of the best practices out there where you that that address some of these issues you've raised
2: uh well you know um i think that there are a number of things you know that we can do i think you know eh, first of all eh, you know eh, and i can tell you eh, it starts right with us. You know, uh, we recognize that we cannot do this alone. And um and we believe, you know, that we have to work increasing accountability, you know, and responsibility to responding to SDIs. You know, CDC, STD programs cannot really take care, and respond, be the only ones responding to the sexual health needs of the nation. Um, if we're gonna turn this epidemic around, it requires increasing ownership of the program. You know, uh, there's a lot of work, right, that needs to be done and um to address this epidemic, and it is going to take a larger group. You know, we think that engaging local healthcare systems, you know, clinics, community-based organizations, they're uniquely situated uh, to respond to emerging STIs. And these groups can really play a critical role in promoting, you know, ST prevention at the local level, you know, and empowering individuals to prioritize their sexual health. You know, we need also multi-sectorial, you know, solutions, health care healthcare, you know, uh, private sector players, you know, have a role uh, in developing and delivering new STI testing and treatment innovation that are desperately needed. Uh, and then, you know, I think uh, healthcare providers, you know, can really play an important and pivotal role in reducing stigma by integrating STI prevention and sexual health um, into the routine practice and creating a welcoming environment for all people. The other thing is that we really have to work, you know, into adopting a syndemic approach, you know, that takes, you know, in consideration all these co current you know, a, 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 a infections with the conditions that contribute to people's exposure to risk, you know, and we have seen, you know, a lot of this happening, you know, in many places in the country where programs are really being created, you know, embracing, you know, categorical funding, right, you know, to focus around the needs of the individual and meeting people, meeting people where they are, where they are right. There are ex- excellent examples, for example, in a uh, uh, Chicago or um uh, Baltimore basically where they're working with uh, a, a, a injection drug user communities right and using mobile vans to bring you know um uh, this package you know of uh, screenings you know that include you know for viral screening services that includes includes viral hepatitis you know STIs and HIV services all together and so this this
1: really is you know one of the key areas to look at integration of all services and you talk some about practices so what should clinicians and practices try to do or where can they get some assistance to try and bring in some of these tools
2: uh you know i, I think um you know first of all i think when it comes to you know sexual health you know a, a, which is again a, 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 I think in many ways the port of entry you know to a lot of these uh, and, and, a, and a really an, an excellent tool, you know, for a clinician to build a relationship with their patients. You know, clinicians need to start to routinize, you know, sexual history in their routine clinical encounter. If patients is going to decrease the stigma. It's going to allow them to, to get to know their patients in a different level. I always say, you know, uh, I, I used to say when I train, right, we give, you know, eh, we don't give enough credit, right, to the lives that our patients lead, you know, eh, and uh, and, uh, and and that's the starting point. I mean, the second thing is that eh, we have to take care of the individual when we see them and meet them where they are. You know, many of these, you know, populations, right? have all these overlapping needs. And and I understand that healthcare is not going to take care of poverty. It's not going to take care of food insecurity. will not take care of education. But as a healthcare provider who takes care, if you work in a place where you take care of uh, populations who may have these needs, it's important to be aware of who are the service providers in your community, right? That are going to address the needs of your patients and somehow establish a relationship with them in the same way that you can send patients to them you know, they will refer, you know, clients to you, right? You know, uh, so so you can work collaboratively, you know, with those organizations to improve, you know, the, the overall well-being of your patients that we know will be connected to improving, you know, the health outcomes of your patients.
0: And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio our guest is Dr. Leandro Mena the director of the CDC's Division of Sexually Transmitted Diseases Prevention so integrating
1: their practices with those community resources and it was it's fascinating you talk about the fact that they would refer back in, which I think is a great point because if they're comfortable with what you're doing and understand what you're doing, they're going to help to identify people who could utilize those resources you have and send them back to your practice, which is not really an area I've thought too much about, but an interesting approach. Where do you see over the next couple of years as funding's picked up um, and hopefully continues to pick up, um, you going with some of this work?
2: You know, you're very optimistic when it comes to the funding and picking up. You know, but I, I can tell you the things that I'm really committed. You know, I, I'm really committed to uh, improving. You know, as I talk about expanding accountability, but the other important area is uh, we have to increase access to sexual health services. You know, I think that. Um, a, a, I would love to see in the next 18 to 24 months how screening for STIs, right, gets out of the clinical setting. I mean, even tests that we currently have for self-collected patients in clinical setting should be done outside of the clinical setting. So people can do it from the comfort of their home, you know, from, or from, uh a, a, their neighbor's home or from a pharmacy, right? I think that would be in many ways equivalent, you know, to, to to in terms of expansion of access to gonorrhea chlamydia screening to what we had 20 years ago when nuclear amplification was adopted. Uh, I foresee one day where screening for STIs is as simple as inexpensive as going to a pharmacy and getting a pregnancy test. I think that in order to be able to do that, right, we need to also invest in innovation and discovery. You know, we need to have better, you know, methods to diagnose diseases, you know, like syphilis, right, that we still having to 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 rely on serologic testing that requires, you know, interpretation, requires very often, sometimes, you know, expert interpretation and access to, to serologic history that sometimes is only available at the health department. We need, you know... A better uh, um, oral treatments, you know, for some of our infections like gonorrhea or syphilis, for which we only have really one injectable alternative, and and then finally, I think we need vaccines, right? That will be the holy grail. I mean, we have some good news in recent years about the meningococcal, you know, vaccine, the outer membrane vaccine, you know, a, a being 40 uh, percent effective in retrospective studies, reducing, you know, incident gonococcal infection. Uh, so I think that 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 it would be fantastic, right? You know, uh, if we could have the investment and the develop, you know, and see the development of uh, vaccines that will prevent, you know, uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia, herpes, you know, or treat herpes and syphilis.
1: Wow, so you're you really talk about, and we've seen some of this rapid change, obviously with COVID, and it sounds like a couple of things are sort of related to that, perhaps in-home testing you mentioned, um, and you see something like that for um, STIs and STDs, as well as technology. Um, do you think some of the move to telehealth might help with some of that access issue? Um, if we can set those up, perhaps a, just a telehealth for STDs or something like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely, I think that, you know, it- telehealth, you know, and home collection or self-testing combined can really close important gaps, you know, when it comes to access to care. Think about how many people living in rural areas, for example, in part because of the stigma around STIs, you know, even when you may have a provider there, you know, the local provider, that may not be the place that they're comfortable going. You know, I work, you know, as you know, as medical director of an STD clinic, you know, for almost 20 years in Mississippi. And uh, a good proportion of my patients had a primary care provider, right? You know, and when I asked them, well, why don't you go to your primary care provider so he can take care of these things? I said, well, I'm not comfortable, you know, uh, going to them, you know, uh, talking to them about these things. So people, you know, I think there is a place and there will always be a place for a specialized STD care that, um, because people look for the because of the expertise, people, comes, you know, because of the... Uh, um. Uh, confidentiality, right? You know, uh, but people also come because of the convenience in terms of uh, walking, you know, and low cost. And telehealth can really, you know, become one more tool to increase access, right, To, to all that. Yeah, when you think about some of the issues
1: I remember, you know, even from a mental health perspective, you know, people didn't want to park out in front. You know, somebody might see their car there. And so you have the same issues with the stigma around um, STDs, et cetera. So obviously having a place where you can feel safe and confidential and and expertise obviously is another critical area. How has it been for you in your transition from the uh, university setting and the clinic in Jackson to uh, working at the CDC?
2: Uh, you know, it's been interesting, uh, uh, Fred. Uh, it's, a, it's a very different environment. A totally totally different environment, and to be honest with you, I've been here for one year, and I still feel that I'm learning. You know to identify which tools you know I have available, you know to be effective, and how to once, you know, and how to use those tools. So, so I think you know I have a long way. You know, I'm trying to do the best you know I can. I'm lucky to be here working with such a, an amazing group of a uh, smart very committed people you know who really see uh, their goal you know uh, every day you know their goal is to improve the the sexual health of american citizens american people
1: yeah that's fantastic and just one final thought in closing you mentioned this this need for taking the public health infrastructure and linking that with the private healthcare system. We've seen how that sort of potentially started with COVID. Do you see that continuing on? I mean, that's obviously a key piece of this. And are you hearing more discussions about that?
2: You know, I I, I think we have to. I mean, it, 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 certainly, I mean, in my division, that's our goal, right? We we One of the priorities that we have is really expanding partnerships. You know, not only, again, uh, with the private sector, but even within the federal government, right? We talk about, you know, how housing has such a influence, right, in health outcomes, HIV outcomes, SCI outcomes. So we have to work with our partners, you know, in HUD, you know, to see how we can, you know, leverage, you know, and integrate, you know, and work together to improve housing in some of these very vulnerable populations with the goal, overall goal to improve to improve health. So engaging the private sector, engaging the the larger healthcare system is gonna be important to really improve, you know, public health and population health.
1: Well, that's a fantastic way to end up this show, Leandro. I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and discussing this issue. And I'd love to get you back on again as you get your feet more settled and uh, to learn more about the work you guys are doing.
2: Happy to, uh, Fred. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. It's our pleasure. And back to you, Greg.
0: And that is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Leandro Mena, the Director of the CDC's Division of Sexually Transmitted Diseases Prevention for his time and in insights today. You follow Dr. Mena's work on Twitter via CDCSTD and CDCGOV, respectively, and on the web via www.cdc.gov forward slash STD. And finally, if you're enjoying our work here at POP Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice. Share with your colleagues and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for you, left coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. Bye now.